Jesus and honor God's word for this morning. Um, we are in the book of James. And ooh, he, likes, he likes to give us a, a fist punch sometimes, doesn't he? <laughs> so we're going to be reading from James 4, verses uh, 14 and 15. We're going to read from the, the Passion paraphrase this morning. This is what it says. You don't have a clue what tomorrow may bring. For your fleeting life is but a warm breath of air that is visible in the cold only for a moment and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, our tomorrows are in the Lord's hands. And if he is willing, we will live to the fullest and do this or that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word to us this morning. God, I pray that uh, being here this morning in your presence with your sons and daughters, we will um, walk away from this place changed as a result of hearing your word. Holy Spirit, speak to us. In your mighty name we pray, amen and amen. Amen. All right. I, I don't want to embarrass my friend Kimberly that is up here in the front uh, row, but uh, I am pretty excited that she's in the house today. So, um, <laughs> um, yeah, what we're going to be talking about uh, the future, and 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 uh, James is going to speak to that this morning. And you know, I've got some plans. <laughs> I've got some things in my heart, but I want to I want to hold them you know, according to, to what, what God has uh, for us. And we, we, I had, we had the opportunity yesterday to, um, we had a meet and greet with our staff and, and some of the council. And um, we had a time of worship and it was beautiful. And, you know, but my favorite part, uh, our favorite part, I think yesterday was that I asked the, the team to, to pray for us. And um, Mary, your word was so good to us, Sandy. Those, I, I'm just so thankful, uh, first of all, for, a church that loves and welcomes so well. Um, and so uh, Kimberly has told me, I think I can say this, that you know she's felt welcomed and uh, almost like part of the family. So thank you for doing that. <laughs> um, so if you haven't had the opportunity to, to, to meet Kimberly yet, um, I'm sure there'll be a long line for me after the service. <laughs> All right. So I'm, I'm just happy that she's in the house this morning. So let me start by asking you a question. I, I hope you all have bulletin. Everybody got one now? So on the, on the back side is a place for you to take notes. And at the top, as we begin this message this morning, I want you to write down. I want you to really take some time. Think about this. I'm going to give you just a few seconds. What are the top three things that you are trying to get done right now? What are you thinking about? What, what are the top three things? If you can, if you can kind of rank them, uh, you, you don't need to do one, two, three in order, but think about the top things that you are trying to solve in your life. What are the problems that you're trying to tackle? What's the mission that you're trying to accomplish? Think about your top three. How can I get this figured out? How can I get this done? How can I get there? How can I move this? What do you think? Let me give you just a second. Didn't know you were gonna have homework. <laughs> right at the top. I like how I, I see some of you just like writing them down right away. Some of you are just like blank. <laughs> That's okay. But I want you to think about it. I want you to think about it. Okay? So 
Every relationship that we enter into has an impact on our personal lives, every, every single one. And uh, now obviously some, some are more than others, like your parents are gonna hopefully have more to influence on you than your mailman. Unless you have a, like a really dynamic mailman. <laughs> but every relationship has some kind of impact on our lives. You may have had some professors or teachers that you've basically forgotten, but you have some teachers that have spoken into your life and have shaped your life. And some of the things that they said when you were in their class are still shaping you today. They're still giving you direction. Some of you, when you interacted with them, you know, they, they changed the course of your life. So we all have different relationships and they touch us at different levels of, our, of impact. But for each one of us, there's a handful of relationships that when we enter into them, they leave no area of our life unchanged. And as a pastor, where I stand, um, I, I get to meet with a lot of people entering into you know, critical relationships in life. I do premarital counseling for those that are entering into marriage. And um, I talk to a lot of people who are entering into parenthood and having a child. And those relationships, spouse, and, and child are some of those key relationships, right? That when you enter into those, no area of your life should remain untouched. And, and my guess is that most of us in here, we know that it's kind of self-evident. It would be weird if you had a friend get married and you were to see them later and say, hey man, how is it being married? And you know, they go, you know what? It hasn't changed my life at all, right? And, and you would be go, you, you, you wouldn't celebrate that. You would say, y'all need counseling. You know, like, what's wrong? What happened? You, you just knit your life together with that person. And so that deep, intimate union has implications for how you spend money and uh, where you live and what you do with your time and where you are on a Friday night, right? And it has implications for every area of your life. And the same with being a parent. If someone has a kid and you ask them, what's it like being a parent? And you're like, you know what? It has changed nothing about my life. Some, some of you are like, what? Right? I don't think it's supposed to be like that. I think that becoming a parent should have a profound impact on how you make choices and how, how you even perceive yourself when you look in the mirror, right? And, um, and how you navigate the world. That relationship should change everything. And let me tell you something. The book of James has been saying that the same truth is never more true than in a relationship with God. It should, if you tell us, yeah, I have a relationship with God, that should change every part of your life. That's really what the book of James is about. Faith in action. And, and so it's weird to say I have an intimate connection with the maker of the earth, but you know what? It's really has no bearing on the way I live my life or how I make my choices. And actually, I don't even think about it most of it. That's a crazy collection of sentences. And, uh, you know, I know the one who kick-started history, uh, and I know the one who made Mars and everything in between, but it has no bearing in how I see myself or how I navigate in the world. That's a crazy thing to say. And uh, that's James' point through most of his book. If you have an intimate connection with God, it changes everything. It, it changes the way you talk to people that are made in his image. It completely changes the way that you treat people, no matter what socioeconomic background they're from. It changes the way you spend money. And we're talking about that next week. It changes, it changes the way you spend time. And today he's gonna say, it should radically impact the way that you make plans. If you're taking notes, it's how you, it should radically impact the way that you make plans. The way you make decisions in life should be shaped by this most fundamental of all relationships. It, it should change the way you plan. And so now what's interesting about James is he's gonna say that 
but we're starting to get to know James. He's not gonna say it gentle like a counselor, like this should have implications on your planning, right? He's not gonna say, he's gonna say it more like a drill instructor. You know, that's, that's why he starts with come now. It's like, it's like the earlier part of James where he said, little children. He said, come on now. And then he's gonna talk to a group of people. And commentators say that he's probably talking to business people, that he's, that he's talking about people who travel to trade and make money. So he's probably talking to business people. But then he's also uh, likely talking to believers because this whole letter is written to people who believe in Jesus. And so he's probably talking to believing business people. And yet he kind of generalizes the language to discuss anybody who makes plans. So I want you to look at this. Basically, he's talking to anybody who says these five things. Today or tomorrow we will go, so they plan to travel, into such and such a town, they plan to arrive, uh, spend a year there, they plan to spend a certain amount of time and trade, they plan to do something and make a profit, they plan for their activity to have a certain result, okay? So if you've ever said, I plan to go somewhere, arrive there, do a thing and have a result, James is talking to you. And not only James is, is he talking to you, James has a problem with you. Do you notice at the end, he'll call you arrogant? <laughs> so if you've ever said anything like, well, I'm going to DC, you know, and I'm going to get an internship. That's arrogant. <laughs> um, I'm going to go home tonight and have dinner. How dare you? I'm going to go show up at work tomorrow. Evil. <laughs> James has an issue with you talking that way. Now, why? Does James have a problem with you making plans? No, he does not. Verse 15 lets, it, lets us know that it's okay to make plans. Does, does he have a problem with people uh, making a profit? No, that's, that's not, that's, this, this isn't about business. Jesus will tell us to make a profit with our gifts and talents, right? We should have a good return for what we do, and it's not about that. So maybe what James is get, getting onto is our words. I, you know, that he says that those of you who say that, instead you should say, if the Lord wills, do this and that, which is honestly why I used to dislike this passage because I, I was thinking, I just thought this was the Bible being super nitpicky. Like, okay, I'm sorry. So now every time I talk, I'm gonna say, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills, I'll come to dinner. If the Lord wills, I'm gonna drive home from work. If the Lord wills, I'll go to bed. I mean, like, come on, man. And I just thought James was nitpicking semantics but now I realize that's not the issue. He's, he, his issue isn't words. His issue is worldview. His issue is perspective. And this is what I put on your, he, what, what he's challenging in us is presumption. That you're gonna go out and make plans and you're missing some key data before you make decisions as you walk on God's planet. And, and what's fascinating about that is if you notice who he's talking to, Think about this for a second. He's not talking to, you know, come, come now, uh, you who say today or tomorrow, I will sit on my couch and eat chips and, you know, drool and stare at the ceiling or stare at my TV. He's talking about people who, who he's not talking about people who don't do anything. He's talking about people who plan to move and plan to get stuff done and the movers and the shakers. I'm going to get up tomorrow. I'm going to go to, go to the city. I'm going to move. I'm going to do things. I'm going to, I'm going to climb the ladder to be successful. So he's talking to the go-getters. Those of you who want to mix it up and move and get stuff done. He says, you... Be careful before you go. That you don't start going to work without the right worldview. Don't make your, start making plans when your perspective is off. Because if you do, he's gonna call that arrogant. He, he says, you're making your plans and you're missing some key information before you do it. And so James is gonna challenge you in two areas. This is where we're going this morning. He's gonna, how you see yourself and how you see God. 
You need a right understanding of yourself and you need a right understanding of God if you're gonna walk the right way on the earth that God made. Do you see that? So, so first, we're gonna walk through it. He's gonna address the way that you think about yourself. And I love the way he does it. The first whole section, we're gonna to go to English class this morning. The first whole section is the subject. He says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? And what's funny is that that's all one sentence in the original. The, the simple sentence is, what is your life? And, and all that stuff beforehand is the subject. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. So all of that is people beforehand, people who are gonna talk a bunch, but they're missing some key data. So namely two pieces of key data. They're one about themselves and then two about God. And so the first one he says is number one, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. <laughs> he says, you're making all these plans. And like you assume you're gonna get to do something tomorrow. And that's presumption because here's the thing. We, we have limited visibility. And so you don't know what tomorrow will bring. And the Bible, here, this is the thing. The Bible warns about this all throughout the wisdom literature as well. Proverbs 27 says, do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what the day may bring, right? To assume that you're gonna get what you want tomorrow causes arrogance or boasting. You don't know that. And so, yeah, you're like, well, of course, technically, you know, I'm not a prophet. Uh, I don't know the future, but the Bible wants you to take that in really deeply. Don't assume tomorrow will just roll on like every other day. You have to acknowledge your limitations. I don't know that. I have a limited visibility. I don't know if tomorrow I'll meet the one that I'll spend the rest of my life with. Or, you know, I'll get hit by a bus. I don't know that. And I really don't have control over that. And that limited visibility should give us humility. I don't get to control everything that happens. Somebody else does. So it's interesting. I love this. <laughs> There's a book called The Survivor's Club. And it tells several true stories about people who survived these near-death experiences. And one of the stories is about this lady. Her name is Ellen. And she was heading to her brand new knitting group. Very exciting. And um, she got all of her knitting material together and she was running late. And so as she was on her way, she tripped and she fell out the door. And, um, and very embarrassing. You know, she comes to this new group and that happens. So she landed on top of all of her knitting stuff when they opened the door to welcome her. And so she kind of had to collect herself. She gets all her gear together. You know, I'm so sorry. She walks into the room. She sets her stuff down. She sits down and everybody's just staring at her with their mouths open like, oh. And she's like, what, what just happened? You know, that's a really awkward way to enter a group for the first time, right? And they're all just staring at her like something is wrong. So she's wondering, what, is this, what are these people's deal, Right. And that's not what you want to have happen when you walk into a connect group for the first time, right? Everybody's jaws dropped. And, and so she, she, she looked and noticed that her knitting needle, not, not her sewing needle, a knitting needle, you know how big those things are? Her knitting needle had pierced her breastplate and was resting in the left ventricle of her heart. So change of plans. I'm not knitting tonight. I'm going to call the ambulance. <laughs> they get her to the hospital and, and they run a bunch of tests and x-rays. Yep, that's a needle. Yep, it's in your heart. <laughs> Isn't that how the doctors do it, right? <laughs> and so they begin to work on that and they remove that needle. They got it out and she survived that experience. Now, here's, here's the, the fun part. She gets a call a little bit later and they, they say, hey, this is crazy. You know, we were looking at your x-rays and whatnot. And while we were looking at that huge needle that was sticking out of your chest, we noticed an enlarged lymph node, which is a telltale sign of breast cancer. 
And so she was able to get on it early and change her plan for the next several months of her life as she went through chemo, but she survived cancer. And uh, a cancer that she wouldn't even have known about if she hadn't got a needle through her chest. So the needle that almost killed her actually ended up saving her life. None of that was planned as she went to go out on Wednesday night to go to her new knitting group, right? She, she thought she was knitting. Nope, you're gonna risk your life to save your life. You don't control things. You have no idea tomorrow what's gonna happen to you. And it's important to understand that. I don't control it. I have limited visibility. And that should bring humility. That I'm not gonna presume I get what I want tomorrow. I don't know. There's another story I gotta tell. There was a pastor in Houston. He was going downtown to a meeting, uh, which he typically never did. And if you live on the outskirts of, of the big city downtown, sometimes you don't wanna go downtown because it, it's, it's busy in the, in the big city. And so it's a huge city, he had, but he had to go downtown for a meeting. And so his meeting ended early after he got down there. And so he realized that I'm in downtown. I'm never in downtown. There's, there's a friend that's in the hospital. I'm gonna go over there and visit them. So he went over and visited his friend. And while he was there, the doctor looks at him and says, uh, hey man, you don't look so good. And the guy says, yeah, you know, actually I, I haven't been feeling so good. And of course the doctor goes into doctor mode. He said, what are your symptoms? Uh, let me take a look at you. Why don't you come over here? The doctor put him on a treadmill. And while he's on the treadmill, the doctor says, all right, stop. Don't do anything. <laughs> the pastor, he was, he was going to pick up his stuff. And the doctor was like, don't even pick up that stuff. You need to come with me right now. He put him in a car. Uh, they, they rode across the way. They rushed him into surgery. He says, do you know what happened to you during that stress test? He said, you failed badly. He said, you were beginning to have a heart attack. The Widowmaker is a, is, a, is a massive heart attack that occurs when the left artery is blocked. And that doctor said the pastor's artery was at 90% clogged. Your heart was trying to have a heart attack and they call it a Widowmaker because you don't see it coming. You die right away. He said, you would have died today. And the pastor realized, I thought I was going to a meeting. I thought I was going to a meeting and by chance I decided to go visit a friend in the hospital and doing that, now I get to see my kids tonight. But that wasn't a guarantee. Today, I was almost gonna die and he had to realize at the end of the day, you know what? I don't know what's happening. We're, we're not as near as much in control of this life as we think we are. That I have limited visibility of what's coming and that should bring some humility in me. And not just humility, um, this is interesting. This, this was just a minor point. James' main point is this question at the end of, of this verse. He says, what is your life? <laughs> what is your life? He's like, you don't know what's coming tomorrow. And what is your life anyway, right? <laughs> he says, you are a mist that appears for a limited time and then vanishes. It's the same word for smoke. Like, like the smoke in front of the sun, it just passes for just a second. You're like a, a little mist, it's gone. You're like the spitzer in the, the bathroom. Psst. <laughs> It's God. He says, that, that, that was you. You're just not here for very long. You're a vapor. So what's he saying? There's not an enduring substance to you. We go into each day like, I get another day. I get another day. I get another day. And you're just not here for very long. And we can get an arrogance about that. Well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. So there is a poem from the 1800s by uh, Shelley. And it was called Ozzy, I don't know how to pronounce it, Ozymandias. And it's about a guy who, who said this. 
He said, I met, a, I met a traveler from an antique land who said two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. So he comes upon this statue. And near them on the sand, half sunk a shattered visage lies. And then at the end of the poem, it says, and on the pedestal, these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look at my works, ye mighty, and despair. And what's funny about that is this guy was looking at this statue that was torn and crippled and is all falling apart. He said, man, I, I saw what I guess used to be a huge imposing statue, but all it was now is legs and a head. And <laughs> next to its legs, it says, stand in terror before the king of kings. And king of kings, you're a busted statue in the middle of nowhere in a desert now. And you thought you were building a kingdom for your power and your glory, but you're a vapor. None of us even know right? And so there's a fragility to us and we don't last long. Number two, that's number two. Number two, fragility should shape then our priorities. It should change the way that we think. Jesus spoke about this. He, Jesus was telling a story in, in Luke chapter 12 about a guy who's very successful in business. Remember this? He said, the guy was like, you know, man, I crushed it. I, I, I'm going to cash out. I'm going to invest all my money. I'm going to retire and have a blast. Eat, drink, and be merry, right? I won. And then Jesus, at the end of the story, he ends it by saying, you fool, tonight you die. Remember that? <laughs> Which you could say, how am I a fool? I didn't know I was gonna die tonight. And Jesus' answer would be, no, you, but you knew you were gonna die. And the fact of your fragility should impact your priorities. The fact that you know death is coming and all of us do, the death rate is what it's always been, one per person. And, and th that fact is true of all of us. Uh, so at, at, at different, it's like, oh, I didn't know. Um, at different times in history, this was more obvious. Like if you go back or even in early America, they put graveyards in the center of the town. And so as you'd walk by, said, there's where we're headed, kids. That, it was different. I remember learning about the Puritans when they were teaching the alphabet to their kids. One of the rhymes was the letter A, as Adam did die, so will you and I. Very uplifting, right? <laughs> they, they wanted to let their kids know that because Early in America, death was always at the door. Now we kind of hide it, but you know, we keep the cemeteries far away. And so maybe we get surprised by what will be inevitable for all of us. And yet Jonathan Edwards, he wrote this in his resolutions. He, he wrote, I resolve to think often of my death and the common circumstances that attend death. I mean, that sounds depressing, <laughs> but that, that's what he wrote. Why, why would you do that? I mean, what are we gonna sit around and think about how we're all gonna die? You know, like, um, <laughs> 12 people a year apparently die from coconuts falling and should we spend our days praying, Lord, let that not be me, you know? Like, what's the point of this? But then I realized, we did a whole series on this. Some of you will remember this. We did a whole series, remember Moses? Psalm 90, where he says, most of you are like grass, you sprout up in the morning, but by the evening you're withering away. And then Moses says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. You're supposed to think about the fact that you'll end so that it'll impact the way that you live. That my fragility should shape my priorities. It should. So uh, we go back. I wanna go back to the three things that you wrote down at the beginning of the message. What are the, what are the top three things that you are trying to get done and trying to accomplish in your life? Got them? Now let me ask this question. What if you found out tomorrow that you're not gonna to live to see the next year. 
If that were the case, would these be your same three? When I was young, attending funerals hit me a little bit differently. Like when, right? when, I, was, when I was younger, I was much more concerned about things like, you know, does this person like me? Do these people notice me? Do they like the clothes that I'm wearing, right? But now do you know what's changed? I've realized so much of what I used to care about much more. It was, it's pretty meaningless. And now when I attend or in my role, I officiate funerals, I look at me. I look at my priorities. And I wanna challenge you in the face of death, are your priorities beautiful? Are they broken? Are they something that you could say they, they won't matter a bit, a bit when I'm at death's door? What do you let shape you? We, I mean, James, I know he get, takes us to these places, but he's saying we're gonna die, every single one of us, and we don't know when, and our fragility should shape our party. So I, I wanna be about the main things before I go out. You hearing me this morning? Now, here's the interesting thing. All of that is true and all of that is, you know, helpful perspective. And I hope for some of us, this encourages you to, you know, make a phone call and call somebody that you need to. Some of you need to ask forgiveness and you haven't because maybe you're a little insecure or a little embarrassed, a little proud, right? And you just thought, I'll, I'll do it later. At some point, I'll tell them, or maybe they're just gonna forget, you know, and you might not have someday. You don't know. Tomorrow is a gift. And so maybe you just need to call someone today and say, hey, I was a jerk, I'm sorry. Or others, you know, you need to reach out to somebody and say, I meant to encourage you. Holy Spirit was prompting me and I just haven't yet. And so I'm gonna start right now. I'm not gonna wait another day. If, if somebody said, you know what? I've been meaning to join the, this church and get involved and start serving people in our community. That's what I wanna do. That's what I wanna be true of me when I die. I just never got around to it. Well, you know what? I don't know when I'm gonna die. So I better get about the things that I wanna be about. Seek first the kingdom. Whew. Now, some of you, I, I hope this, I hope, I hope this, you know, those first two shapes the way you make decisions right now. I don't, I don't know that all of us will be here next year, but I, I want you to be able to say, man, I had good priorities with the fragility of my life. I did good with the few moments that God gave me. It's but a vapor. And yet here's the reality. All of that's true, but none of this is really distinctly Christian, like live every moment like it's your last. I mean, we could have just watched the bucket list movie, right? Um, or just played the song, I hope you dance, <laughs> right? But James isn't done. James isn't done yet. That's, that's only half the message, that there's a fragility to us and that should shape our priorities and we have limited visibility, so that should give us humility. Maybe I don't know everything that's going on. And so maybe I should evaluate, you know, what should I be about before I go out? But then James turns the corner and he says, you, you've, not, you've not just failed to see yourself rightly, you failed to see God rightly. And there's another player in the game. So this is what James says in verse 15. He says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. He's like, you don't know. That's presumption. So number, you, you, know, you need to, number three, think about presumption less and more about providence. You don't run this place, but somebody else does. So instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, and then it, it gives you two things. It says, then we will live and we will do this or that. There, so those are the other failures of perspective. If the Lord wills, I will live. And what's fascinating about this too is so many people, you've, you've read the stories in history have come to faith when they contemplate at the end of their lives, somebody else is driving, 
right? You see it in Abraham Lincoln's story. If you've ever read that story, we see it in Andrew Jackson's story, President Andrew Jackson. He, he had a lived a pretty crazy life. He got into several duels. Um, he was a kind of a real self-made man. And, and he's like, I'm going to go my own way kind of guy. And he made it through his presidency. And uh, towards the end of his life, he showed up at a church gathering. And while he was there, the pastor saw him in the crowd and he adapted his sermon for him. I don't know, should pastors do that? Maybe I'm doing that for you right now. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, but um, I, I don't know. But uh, this, that's what happened. And so anyway, the pastor sees um, Andrew Jackson walk in, the, this, this, the guy that used to be president of the United States of America. And he starts listing off parts of his life, parts of his story. That's what his sermon turns into. And he says, you know, how could someone who has gone through the wilderness and, and all of this war and not see that their lives had been preserved? How can they, how can they be an intelligent person and not see the guiding hand of providence? The pastor's preaching and it bothered Andrew Jackson. <laughs> says, I'm a self-made guy. But he's like, you know, wait a minute. How did I make it through all that? So he called up the pastor and he says, after the, after the service, and he said, I need you to come over to my house. And the pastor's like, well, I'm, I'm busy doing the work of the ministry. I've got some other people, which really ticked off the former president. <laughs> he's like, you put me on hold, bro. <laughs> and the pastor, he made himself he sit by himself for like a day, as the story is gold. And as he sat there and contemplated his life, he realized I'm not in as much control as I thought I was. Somebody else is in control and I need to make peace with that because I don't have many years left. And Andrew Jackson came to faith in Jesus at the very end of his life. And it changed, it changed his heart because he started to realize somebody else was driving. So James is letting us know you're in, not in as much control as you think you are, but somebody else is. Your will uh, doesn't determine what happens tomorrow. You don't know that. But if the Lord wills, we will live. And if he wills, we're gonna, we're gonna live that out. So here's the good news. He wills it because you live. <laughs> and that's an encouraging thought. Your life is a gift. Can I get an amen? Your life is a gift. Yes. And that grace should produce gratitude. And I've noticed that sometimes in some people's lives takes a life-threatening situation for people to get that. And it's fascinating. Kevin Hart is an enormously successful actor and he's a comedian. And if you've watched his career, Kevin Hart began to get in shape and he's like building these muscles in, in, in 2018, 2019. And he was in more and more shots of his social media story and Instagram like had him with no shirt on. And it seems like he was kind of getting a little proud. I'm not judging, but um, you know, I'm just making some observations. And, and it just seemed a little bit like that. And then what happened, if you, if, if you, you know, read the news or saw the news stories in, in September of 2019, he got in a huge car wreck. His car flipped, he flipped a car and his social media went kind of dark. And, and, and we know that he's hurt and we know it almost cost him his life. We don't know how bad for a while. And, and then after some time away, he came back. And, and you start seeing him come through rehab. Some of you have been through that tough work of rehab, right? He, he, the back braces, all of this stuff, but the, the voiceover was different on his social media stories. It was calm. And you hear him saying, you know, it's funny how you think that you got your life all figured out. Isn't that funny? You think you got it all figured out, then all of a sudden, in a moment, everything changes. And then the next thing he said was, I am so grateful that I am alive. 
I thank God every day because my breath is a gift. My family is a gift. This life is a gift and I want to treasure it. And it just dawned on him, I'm not in control of my life. One wrong turn could have ended me, but God preserved me. That grace should produce gratitude. I don't deserve it to be here, but somebody has let me be. That's a powerful thing. So think about the pastor who made that trip downtown when it dawned on him, man, that sequence of events that kept me alive. I was gonna die today, but I just happened to drive downtown and that meeting happened to end early. And so I happened to visit a friend at the hospital and the doctor happened to notice my symptoms and the doctor decided to help me. And that doctor helped me realize and, and was able to get me into surgery where I could immediately have my heart fixed so I could see my kids tonight. He's thinking somebody was willing to keep me alive and it was not me because in the normal course of my life, I would have been dead by that evening. God preserved my life. If he wills, we will live. And he willed that I live. And I say, thank you because I didn't have to be here, but I'm here. Humility should permeate our perspective and it should shape our priorities. Can, can we do something? Everybody, can we do something? I want you to hold up these two fingers and I want you to put them right here on your neck so you can feel the pulse. I mean, if you don't feel it, we've got another problem and we've got to call, the, call somebody. But I want you to just feel it for a second. Do you feel the beat? You feel it? Yeah. Again, if you don't, we've got a problem, so you're gonna need to let us know. That's, that's your heart pumping blood through your body. Question, what do you have to do to make that happen? You didn't make that happen. But if it wasn't happening, you wouldn't be here. You're not making it happen. You're not sitting here, you know, going beep, 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 beep. You're, you're not doing it, but someone has decided to let that continue and that's the gift of grace. Come on. And when you realize it's the grace of another that keeps me alive, that gives you gratitude. If the Lord wills, I will live. And he wills that. That should shoot our day through every day with gratitude. God, you're directing my story. And when you realize that, then that is what gives you the humility to go, then what do you want me to do with this day? Because you gave it to me. Because if the Lord wills, we will live and then do this or do that. And what I love about that is what he's saying here is that everything that exists, exists because God wills it to. So what does that mean? It means that God has a will. God has a desire. Number four, it's simple, but God has a purpose for you. And so we're not just accidentally here. There is a God who has made all of this and continues to let that exist and continues to let you exist because he has a purpose that he's contemplating. And we can get alongside that. Because when you understand that, that rescues you from a mundane life. And so, so many people think that the world is a closed system. Well, the sun rises and sets because the sun always rises and sets. And we go to work to earn money to buy food and get a job and to raise kids so that the kids can get a job and buy food and then die. And we all die and then we're all just kind of in this little closed system that has no purpose and no meaning. Meaninglessness is the plague of our generation. But when you realize this, that no, all of this exists because someone wants it to be so, he has a will and he has a purpose and I can align myself with his. That shoots every day straight through. So it's straight up purpose that makes your every day amazing. 
So there's a God who has chosen that I'm here. So don't buy the lie that we're in just some closed system that has no purpose or meaning. You hear that sometimes in, in the scientific circles. Stephen Hawking said that. We know that there's a law of gravity. Therefore, you know, the universe created itself. That, that we don't need to posit a deity because we understand the scientific process. Well, John Lennon, he comes in. He's, he's a mathematician from Oxford. And he said this. He, he was challenging him. And he said, I have a question. And I love it. He said, why does water boil? And, you know, he said, well, you could say water boils because, you know, the, the scientific, let's talk about the science, the, the science. The heating coil in my kettle causes the molecules in the water to vibrate. And as they vibrate, they pick up heat. And as it heats up, it gets to 100 degrees Celsius. And then it begins to boil. That's one way you can answer why it boils. Or you could say, because I want some tea. And both are true. Just because you understand the scientific process does not remove the need for agency. So don't go, oh, life just kind of spins because this, uh, you know, this world, it just keeps on going. No, it keeps going because somebody willed it to be. So don't lose the wonder that there's a will behind all of this. <laughs> I love the way G.K. Chesterton ducks about orthodoxy. He called it the ethics of Elfland. He said, I'm tired of this mentality that says there's nothing magic about the universe. It can all be explained away. And he says, yes, you can explain the process of how things work, but you can't explain why it works. The why should sound like fairy tales. It's, it does sound like fairy tales. He said, in fairy tales, they say princes become bears. And you go, okay. And we take that. And some of you, you know, of course, you'll, will say, well, that's fake. And he's like, well, but look at your world. Eggs become chickens. He says, that's weirder. And I know, I know princes that look more like bears than chickens that look like eggs. And you just accept that eggs will become chickens. Why? Oh, because we understand because the embryo. Yeah, but back it up. That's weird. It's a weird process. In this whole place, we can understand the process of how it works, but the why is just straight up unbelievable because God chose it to be that way. And the fact is that it keeps on rolling is just a completely a gift of his. And we are not uh, in a dead universe that, that just got wound up and left behind. And I love it. He likens it to a child. He said, a child likes to kick in rhythm. And he said, that's not just because of an, uh, of an absence of life, but an excess of it. He said, same with you. The sun rises and sets and rises and sets, not because it's an absence of life in some machine, but because it's an overabundance of life. Because God has not lost his youthful vigor in that when he sees the sunrise and puts it down, he's just like a little kid. He says, do it again, do it again, do it again. <laughs> and, and the reason the sun keeps coming up is because God loves to see it that way. The reason all the daisies are gonna look alike because God's not tired of making daisies. Uh, that this world rolls on because there's a will behind it, because God wants it to be that way and he wants, it, wants to, the, the, this world to work and he wants you to work within it. And so you can look at this and say, you know what? You know, I, I don't know what's going on. I'm limited, I'm fragile and this fragility should shape my priorities. I'm not here for very long, but you made this place and you made me, you have a will and I wanna align mine with yours. If the Lord wills, I will live. And I live. So if the Lord wills, I'm gonna do this or that. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. And we're, we're wrapping this up. I know for some of you, none of this sounds like good news. <laughs> you go, okay, then. So basically the point is that I'm not in control of my life. Somebody else is in control of me. I hate this message. Because some of you like control, right? <laughs> and you hate being told what to do. And I, I get it. Some of you, someone had power over your life and they abused it. 
and, 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 and they maybe even abused you. And so talking about the sovereignty of God and your, about your fragility, it bothers you. I don't like this. I don't want you know, providence. I want my plan. And here's the reality of that. James has, has grabbed a sentence that was actually kind of common in the time for ancient Greeks. Uh, Greeks you know, they, would say, they would say this, if the gods will. If the, if the gods will, this vessel, this ship that we're going on is gonna make it. If the gods will, I'll make it alive to see my family. And they said it that way because they were just always very close to death. They didn't know. They didn't know if that ship was gonna make it. It was always kind of like up in the air, like, hey, about half of these boats are gonna crash. So if the gods will, I'm gonna make it. If not, I'll never see you again. Like they just didn't know. And they said that and there was a resignation to it because the gods were you know, mean. And, and that's, that was their idea because we don't know if we're gonna live. It's, it's up to them, it's up to the gods. And if they're like, the gods may let me live, they, they may kill me, I just don't know. It was just an admission of their, on their vulnerability to the forces outside of their control. It was not a fun way to live. James doesn't say that. James says, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. And he takes the personal name here. I want you to hear this. He takes the personal name Lord and the Hebrew name Yahweh. We translate it Lord as a personal name for God, the very breath of God. So this is the covenantal name for God. And a covenant comes with a promise, right? And God said, I'm, I'm giving you this name as a covenant. I promise to love you. I promise to be here with you like a husband and a wife. I promise, I'm, this is a covenant. And it's the name given to Jesus. He's Lord. And it was the first creed of the early Christians. His name meant Jesus is Lord. The one who leads me is the Lord. And I can know him and I can trust him. And the more I trust him, the easier it is to submit my whole life to him. And, and it's, it's not just some random you know, deities controlling my life. It's the Lord who loves me and he knows me by my name. And, and so how do you know he loves you? Because he's not asking you to do something that he wasn't willing to do himself, that when he saw the wreckage that was happening with humanity, God did not, start, he did not stand far off, right? God, God willed that his son would enter the story and Jesus became a human being like you and me and he stepped into this world and he took on what? Humility. He, he didn't come to accolades. He walked around as a homeless man and he was gracious to those who were hurting and he was tender to those in pain. He was forgiving of those who were in shame and he was beautiful. And, and yet what happened when he walked this earth? He said, I, I say what the Lord wills for me to say. What you say, I say. What you do, that's what I'm gonna do. I do what the Lord wills for me to do. I will submit myself to the will of the Lord is what he said. And when he finally got to the end of his life, knowing that was the cross was before him, he said, Lord, if there's any way to let this cut pass from me, let it, but not my will, but yours. Whew. And he just kept submitting and it, he, to the will of God. He, he died on that cross, taking the sins of the world on himself and they buried him, but he didn't stay dead. And he made death not a cave that we enter into for eternal sleep, but he blew out the back door of that cave and made it a valley that we walk through. <laughs> the valley of the shadow of death, but we come out on the other side. And his most tragic day became our most victorious, that his death became our pathway to life, that the, the cross is not a dark thing, but an illuminating thing because it brings life. And his submission to the will of the Father through, you know, though it was painful for a season, exploded into life like a seed in the dirt, exploding with much fruit 
And the same will be true of you. The same Jesus that submitted to the will of the Father who is good and whose purposes are redemptive tells you, submit your will to your Father and walk with him. And I promise you, he will not waste your life. And so this can be a good thing. God's purposes are better than mine. And, and I don't want to build my little sandcastles because they're going to fade away anyways in time. I want to build his kingdom that, that rests on forever. I don't want to raise up my little banner that's going to blow away by the slightest wind, but I want to raise up the banner of the name of Jesus because it'll echo throughout eternity. Because he's the true king of kings and the Lord of lords and I'm, I'm, I'm born with him. And so that's what we're called to today. That's what we're called to today. Um, band, you guys can come on up, get ready. But I want to align my will with his. And when I understand that, that produces wonder. Every day is an adventure. I don't know what's coming, but I know the one who's driving. And he's not going to give you all the information, right? We know that. So if I just align my will to his, I, I want to keep in step with you. But for some of you, that means, you know, some of you, it means getting involved in the church. And, and you may go, oh man, I, I didn't even know, you know, if, if I want to get involved in the church, what I really want to do is have purpose and meaning in my life. I'm lost. Well, hey, guess what? You may arrive in a place at, you know, six months where, where you get that diagnosis and, and you're laying on the hospital bed. But there's, maybe you put yourself in a connect group and there's six people in that room holding hands with you, praying over you because you took that step to get into a connect group, Right? And you're getting face to face. And so you have those people around you, but you put yourself out there and you get into this community and you got a fight club, guys, and you, and you get to know some people. And so that six months down the road, when that diagnosis did come, you have some people around you that love you. And you get to know the extreme worth of, of having community that cares. But you, you didn't know that a diagnosis was coming. You don't know what's going on. All you know is that he you know, put in the front of Maybe he's speaking to you, you know, you should go to church and you did it today and that's good. Now what's next? That's, that's what we're doing is leaning into the voice of God. So you can't see everything that's in front of you. Our vision is limited. All that you can see now, he says, don't neglect the gathering together. So let's encourage one another as long as it's called today, right? That's all. That's all he's gonna give you. He's not gonna tell you the rest, but, but you can know that he's guiding things and that's not oppressive. It's liberating, it's, it's, it's not liberating to have no idea where the story's going, but God wants you to use your life to make a difference. He doesn't waste the lives of his people. It says, precious are the tears of my people. I keep them in a bottle. So he, he knows your pain and he knows you and he's positioned you for a purpose. But what am I gonna do in five years? I'm not gonna tell you that. <laughs> That's beyond the curtain of mystery, but I'm gonna tell you today, that you were made to know me. You were made to know me. You were made to know me. So why don't we crack open the word and just listen to what I have to say to you today? Let me just encourage you um, with just a couple things, the last two things on your notes. Let me just encourage you with something. Live the kind of life that you'll have wanted to have lived when you died. We're all gonna preach at our own funerals. Yeah, somebody is gonna get up and say something, but everybody knows what kind of person you are. <laughs> so what kind of person do you wanna be? Live the way you would have wanted to live if you knew it was your time. I want that for you. I have a resurrected king who's resurrecting me. So we don't, here's the other one. We don't get to know everything, but we get to know him and that's enough. That's enough to have a beautiful life. So at the end of it, we could say, you know what? I did something with the few years that he gave me 
It took, I took my little flicker of a flame and I put it in the eternal flame of Jesus. I took the little brick of my life and I stacked it on the cornerstone of Jesus. I, I, I took my mouth and I used it to sing an eternal song you know, that will echo into eternity. I took my life and I aligned it with the purposes that matter. That's my prayer for you and me today. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word to us. Whew. Our lives are but a vapor. And we can, we can be so quick to fill our lives with purpose, to fill our lives with, <laughs> I mean, in American culture, a lot of times it's busyness. We can just fill our lives with things that we put on the calendar. But Lord, today, we, I just, we just wanna come to a place as we, we close out this day and James' word to us and say, we want your purposes, your plans. We wanna follow your will. Where you go is where I want to go. What, what you say is what I want to say. What you do is, what you're doing is what I want to be about doing. And so those priorities in my life, Lord, shift them, shape them, form me. I know my life has purpose because you're in it. God, I thank you for that today. Jesus, would you just speak to our spirits even right now? Lord, I want to hold my life loosely with humility. Thank you, Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you an opportunity. If you don't know Jesus, um, or maybe you would like to resurrender your life to Jesus this morning, <laughs> talking about purpose and plans, and you know, life is fragile and things happen and life can be tough. But the thing about Jesus is he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's a rescuer. He came to this planet to rescue us from a life that is meaningless and came to give us purpose. And he came to pull us out of the pit, out of the mire, out of the junk that we get ourselves into and, and, and give us new life. So you already know if that's you, you, you felt that tug on your spirit, you already know it. With nobody looking around, I just want you to raise your hand this morning and we want to pray with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Let's join all together and pray this prayer. Father God, I give you my life, my heart, my purpose. I want to follow you. I want to lay down my life Submit it to you. Where you go, I go. What you say, I say. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for coming to be my rescue. My life is yours. Amen and amen.